0: We just sang about being soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you sang about the panoply of Christ, that is all of the armor. That's referring to Ephesians chapter 6. Panoply means the full array of armor. And so if you were paying attention to the words of the verses around that expression, it was describing every virtue, every grace that Jesus Christ has given us. We ought not to be weak in any one of them but put on the whole armor, keep it polished, and fight the good fight of faith. And I want to appeal to the men today to fight that good fight of faith by being the men that God created them to be. A brother a few minutes ago read Psalm 12 to us, and with that first verse, I'd like to begin this sermon. Psalm 12, 1 says, Help! Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. It was in the days of David a fact that godly men were few in number, and it's truly a fact in our day. And while last Sunday was spent teaching the role of women... Today is the role of men. We looked at what the Bible had to say about women. We didn't look at it in great depth, but we looked at it in enough depth that women that were paying attention were reminded of the duties they have to fulfill the role God gave them. And we want to do the same thing today. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we pray that by Your mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the enlightening power of the Holy Spirit, we might be convicted and instructed, provoked and warned by Your Scriptures to be the men we ought to be. Heavenly Father, You tell us in Scripture, quit yourselves like men. And so we want to do that this day. Heavenly Father, You warn us that when a nation by its tongue and by its deeds have turned its back against Thee, You will take away their men and let women and children rule over them, as we read in the third chapter of Isaiah. Heavenly Father, raise up a standard and raise up great men in this church to lead their families and to be pillars in this house that there might be in this place a group of men that are pleasing in thy sight that will be defenders of the truth, lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ and answerers with the word of God and not their opinions help us to this end we trust thee we beg thee and now we wait upon thee in Jesus name amen amen let me introduce this subject as i did last sunday we had a birth a couple of weeks ago. As a child passes through the birth canal, you wait for that moment two-thirds of the way through the process to find out if you've got a boy or a girl, to, whether, to find out whether you've got a man or a woman. In John chapter 16, it speaks about a woman giving birth to a man-child. Now, he's not a man when he's a child, but he's a child that's going to be a man. And so, that sight comes to your eyes, and you know you have a little boy. And that little boy, before you know it, is a young man. And before you know it, he's an old man. And God's told men how they ought to conduct themselves. And so today, I hope that I can encourage the hearts of all the boys and men to be great boys and to be great men. To want to aspire to be a man like David, after God's own heart growing in favor with God and men. Women respecting you. Men respecting you. And the God of heaven pleased with you. You make that choice every minute of every day. When we open our mouths, when we take our let our feet take us someplace, we make the decision whether we're going to grow in favor with God and men or not. Now you women, this is not a sermon for you to close your ears. If you're a girl... A young lady in here, I'm going to describe the kind of man you want to set your sights on to marry. And you don't want to marry anything less than I describe. Just like last Sunday, I don't want you men to marry anything less than I described. Let's say you're an old woman. That means you've got sons and grandsons. And so I'm going to remind you of the character traits you ought to provoke and promote in them. Everyone has a response to this sermon. If you're a young mother, and you've got little boys, you have one glorious task. Forget being the stupid mothers of Sparta. What stupid women with such stupid goals to raise soldiers for Sparta so they could all die and no one would even be able to find Sparta today. How about a mother like Hannah or Lois and Eunice right. who raised Samuels and Timothys who became soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ and who labored for Him and their labors are still here and their labors will be told throughout eternity That's right. because they were soldiers of the cross. Right. Your little grandpas that you feed and you wash their clothes, are going to become great men someday. And what kind of great men we want are great men in the service of Jesus Christ our King. Sparta thought they had a king, and he was a joke, he was a lady. Because they were all ladies in Sparta, compared to fighting the good fight of faith, which is the real warfare. The real warfare is putting on the armor of the Lord Jesus Christ and standing against the wiles of the devil. Every man in Sparta gave in to the wiles of the devil. We want to stand against the world, against their thoughts, against their philosophies, against everything that is in our own breast. Every thought of our flesh, we want to fight against that as great men. If you're a boy, this morning you didn't choose it. Your parents didn't come into the hospital and have two boxes to check, one pink and one blue. The Lord checked that before... He created the heavens and the earth. Amen. I want you to revel in that fact. And you women, you revel in what I said last Sunday. I taught that you were a glory. I taught you good things from the Word of God, but today it's the men's day. You glory in that You didn't choose it. Anthony, you did not make the choice. Neither did your mom or dad. The Lord made the choice. They made it a long time ago. Amen. And you're going to be a man in the earth because the Lord has made that choice. We've been studying the Bible. But what good is the Bible unless we put it into practice? Unless we have men of the Bible. Amen. And that's what we want. Men of the Word of God. The Bible's God's written opinion on what He thinks about men and women. So we want to read it and understand it and put it into practice. Not just thump it. Not just sell it. Not just claim it. We want to put it into practice. All the opinions of all men about what a man is is utterly worthless. The opinion of any man is worthless. My opinion is worthless. Your opinion is worthless. Utterly worthless and void of any value at all. What Patton or Schwarzkopf, Alexander the Great or Adolf Hitler thought about a man, all of it combined is worthless. This is the God of heaven. He's the high king of heaven. And he's called men to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he describes and defines what a man is. And we want to trust Him. Why is it good to preach on this subject? Let me remind you. I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, even this unpopular subject, because the world doesn't want great men. The world does not want men who lead wives and who lead children, who lead families, who lead churches and who lead society. I want to remind you the foundation of this nation is based on men. Women were not allowed to vote in this country until the 20th century for very good reason. For the first couple hundred years of this country, women were not asked their opinion on any subject pertaining to the government of this nation. And it's corrupted just as our brother read from Isaiah chapter 3. It said, when God takes away the men... Women and children will rule over a nation, and they which lead you cause you to err. Right. You let some little sentimental woman running on her current pitch of emotion, whether it's based in her heart or her loins, and she's going to make any kind of decision when she gets to the polls. Right. She'll like the, the man's smile that she's voting for. Instead of the principle and character that a man ought to vote for. Now I'm not running down women. I'm just reminding you that God is looking for some great men. And this country understood that until just 100 years ago. I want you to know that no woman ever voted in the 1800s. They say that we're strange and we're crazy and that I'm ai am a anachronistic, Neanderthal caveman. I'm a male chauvinist pig. They can call it whatever they wish. We haven't changed. Right. We've held to the way societies have voted in patriarchal societies from the beginning. We haven't changed. They've changed. Right. We're holding to the old paths. They've made new paths. And all you have to do is look around a little bit. and The, old, the new paths are leading in strange places. Right. The new, place, the new paths are not leading us to a more righteous nation. The new paths are not leading us to a more powerful nation. They're leading us astray. We're now in the congregation of the dead. Most churches and this nation. Lord, help us. Why do I preach on it? Because I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. Why do I preach on it? Because though we may have some good men, I want you and me to be better and better and better. And I hope that you agree with that. God's glory is maximized when we fulfill our roles. Let's fulfill this role. The fourth reason I preach it is because our relationship with God requires good relationships. And if you read in Isaiah chapter 3 or followed along, I'm going to refer to these passages. They weren't read to fill up space, brethren. They weren't read for you to hear the sound of words. They were read for the sense of those words. I want to remind you that your relationship with God is dependent upon your relationship with others. When John the Baptist was sent into this world, he was to turn the hearts of the fathers unto their children. What are the next words? To prepare a people for the Lord. Because it's people with a godly father that are prepared for the Lord. So that's why I'm preaching on it. I'm preaching on it because virtuous and great men adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it a beautiful thing. I preach on it because virtuous and great men shut the mouths of gainsayers. They refute the lies of this current generation if we're godly and great men. I preach on this subject because you men will only find true fulfillment in fulfilling the role God gave you. If you back off, if you neglect it, if you forfeit or quit in any way, you will suffer. Yes, your family will suffer as well because they're under your headship, but you will suffer yourself. You will be frustrated and pained if you do not do the job and fill the role God gave you. I preach on this subject because functional homes result in happy wives, happy children and happy churches, happy grandchildren. I preach on this subject because the kingdom of God depends upon great men. I preach on this subject because there isn't a single reminder out there in the world for men to be men. Everything this world tries to give us right now is to make fun of men. To make a man a buffoon in the home. The laughing stock of the family. The source of wisdom. The source of encouragement is all from the mother. And the fathers are made to look like idiots. Because there is a devilish war against what I'm about to preach to you. I'm preaching on this subject because you're all going to give an account of what kind of a man you were. Every whining, television-addicted, business-obsessed, carnally-minded man is a disgrace to his sex. Two-thirds of the way through the birth process, his parents should have seen something else. He doesn't deserve to be a man. He's ashamed to his family and he's going to be judged severely by the great God of heaven. Because I want to tell you something, the great God of heaven glories in great men. He doesn't glory in great women. Women are, women do not turn on the God of heaven. Great men turn on the God of heaven. What is the glory of the, of the man? The woman. But what is the glory of God? The man. God gets glory from great men. Every boy and every man should be praying, Lord, teach me, convict me, and strengthen me. I want to do everything that's about to come out of the Word of God. The, the great and glorious men will listen to what I'm about to say and put it into practice. Let's go. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Lord, help us. We love Thy Word. We believe Thy Word. We trust Thy Word. Amen. Now teach us from Thy Word. Genesis chapter 1, I want to begin where I ended with the women. I ended by saying that the woman is the glory of the man, and she's a glory. I want to begin with the glory of the man. Because the man is the glory of God. And let's start in the very beginning, in the first chapter of your Bible, where it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Before I go any further, What does it mean for us to be made in the image and likeness of God? Do you think that God looks like you? Do you think He's got blue eyes or brown eyes? Do you think He's got hair on the top of His pate that turns gray in a few years? God is immortal and we have an immortal soul. He is a spirit and we have a spirit. However, the context here is going to teach us something that tells us about the image and glory of God that we ought not to forget. Right. And the context tells us it's the dominion that men have over His creation that makes us look like God. Because God has utter, absolute, complete, total, final, permanent, and eternal dominion over His entire creation. Amen. So it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. While there are several ways that we can look at being created in the image and likeness of God, I want you to focus on the one this morning, that men, you were created to have dominion. You're the leaders, you're the rulers. Now, in the Bible, a leader or ruler of a nation was referred to as a God. And the reason, I'm just appealing to you to think through your Bible so that you'll understand what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. Rulers and leaders of nations were called gods with a little g. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28. Psalm 82 verse 1 verse 6. John chapter 10 verse 35. Because a leader and a ruler is like God because he's he's exercising authority over those under him. So men, I first of all address you and tell you that the man is a glorious creature. The man is a glory, and God chose you to be that glorious creature. The reason in 1 Corinthians 11 that a man should never come into the pulpit or ever pray or preach with anything covering his head is because anything on your head is a symbol of submission under authority. And so 1 Corinthians 11 says, Do not cover your heads when you are in the house of God and you are representing God because the man is the glory of God, keep your head uncovered. You know, I've used this foolish and silly example before, but I hope that it might be helpful. There's a great deal in the impression that you get when you look at a Doberman Pinscher compared to a sheepdog. The the impression in one second of your mind, if you're able to put them up in front of you, is very different. One is bold, the other is not. One is intelligent, the other is not by appearance. The other one might have some intelligence. I'm not. That isn't the issue, it's the appearance. And God wants the appearance representing him not to have anything on his head. I'm still dealing with the fact that the man is the glory of God. And he wants that man's head uncovered because he is not under authority or in submission to anyone on this earth except the Lord Jesus Christ. A man is not in submission to his wife in any way, shape, or form. There is no marriage vow properly understood that puts a man in submission to his wife. The man does not owe anything to his wife except what the Lord Jesus Christ tells him to give her. He is under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look through the Old Testament, you'll find what appears to be a double standard of righteousness. But it is not a double standard of righteousness. It's just that the woman owes her fidelity to her husband, and the husband owes his to the Lord God Almighty. That's the difference. That's why the man doesn't have checks and balances on him for the woman to pull strings on his life. The woman has the checks and balances in her life for the man to pull strings on her. And I'm not going to chase that trail because it takes a little bit of time, but I'll help anyone that wants to hear about it later. And the difference is a man is under God and owes everything to the Lord God of heaven. So, what? How long should your hair be? Your hair should be short. Right, man. Who's the manliest man among us this morning? John Fisher. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be foolish. I just want you to think about it. You know, when we did our document and opposed Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, one of the points we made in there was the Bible condemns long hair in a man. Webmaster, brother. Did we take some abuse for that statement? A lot of abuse. They think that a man has a right to wear long hair, but the Bible says it is a shame for a man to have long hair. Right, it's right. a shame because he's looking like a woman. He's looking like a sheepdog. You take a Doberman, you forget to clip his ears and cut his tail and let his hair grow. Well, it won't grow very long, but you'd have a different looking dog. Short hair. Don't you guys ever try to grow your hair to look like these little punk sissies that are out here in the world? They're not men. They're girls. They're trying to look like girls. It's too bad we couldn't put them back in that birth process and bring them back out again looking a little differently. They don't deserve to be men. You keep your hair short. John, you just keep that example in front of your sons and in front of all of us. Come and tell us when you think we're getting a little too long. That could be soon. It isn't a joke. You know what's in the Bible? Nobody thinks it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It isn't in the Old Testament. It's not in some obscure prophet. It's in the New Testament. Men ought to have short hair. We don't need any hippies in our congregation. We're not going to have any, but we don't need any either. We look like men, and that is a bold head that owes its, owes its submission only to the God of heaven. Amen. That is who you men are accountable to. And so my first point is the man is a glory, because he's the image and the representative of God up on earth with authority given to him by God to rule and to lead in, on behalf of the Lord God Himself. A weak and compromising, apologetic, hand men man is one of the sickest sights on earth. I'm thankful for the restaurants that we had for some time because daily we got to see those little men come in on their leashes behind their masters, known as their wives. The little man had to ask his wife for the money. He had to ask if he could have a sandwich with any fat content in it. He had to ask if he could have a cookie. Oh, he had to ask for a cookie. And I'm not jesting. I'm telling you the truth, my, my children can vouch for me the things that they, a man had to go through to grovel in order to be able to get a sandwich with some real food on it. It's a pitiful thing to see, but you look in our country and you'll see this little nagging woman leading his, her husband along by a leash, telling him what he can and cannot do, what he should and shouldn't do. Now, honey, now, honey, did you forget what the doctor said? You have high cholesterol. You sh- oh... Where in the Word of God do you have a nag? I have lots of verses about that nag. And it tells me that a man is better off way out in the wilderness living by himself than going into any restaurant with that thing attached to him. The Bible tells me that. And it ought to tell all you men. That doesn't mean we're foolish. And once in a while we can say what to our wives, what would that doctor say? You know when it slips our mind, when we're looking at that loaded cheese beef sandwich What did that doctor say? I shouldn't, shouldn't eat? Now that's one thing when a man asks his wife. But it's another thing when she wants to tell him what he can and cannot do. I'm telling you that the man loses all his glory when he's a hen-pecked, compromising, apologetic man with a woman who's ruling over him. Lord, help us. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. I did not turn you to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm hoping that you can remember it without me turning you to it. But that's where we saw that the man is the glory of God. Because he's in a position of leadership and authority. He's not to cover his head when he's in the presence of God or leading the worship of God. He's not to wear long hair. You're a sissy if you wear long hair. You're trying to pretend to be a girl if you wear long hair. I don't care who you think wore long hair. I don't care if Wild Bill Hickok wore long hair. He was a sissy when it came to the sight of God. And I'm talking about my favorite boyhood hero outside of the Bible, but he was a sissy and the Lord took him down at about the age of 30. Jack McCall, Deadwood, Kansas. That might have been South Dakota. Thank you, brother. It's been a long time since I was dealing with James Butler Hickok with all of his his long hair. Listen, you go into the Word of God and follow the Bible. Amen. It would not be a pretty sight to have my brother and me in a trivial contest of any sort, especially if I lost. it wouldn't be a pretty sight forget all those images that the world wants to put before you and say these are great men you follow the Bible Amen. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6 the point I want to make continuing about the fact that the man is a glory look what it says in Proverbs 17:6. children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their father's A godly man, filling his role properly, is going to be the glory of his children. And his glory is going to extend beyond the third grade when it ends for most men. About the third or the fourth grade with the average man who goes off to work, a beaten man, because his wife has beat him into submission, comes home sits down the lazy boy and turns on the TV. At about the third grade or the fourth grade, when a boy is starting to think about being a man, he realizes he doesn't have a real father. And so the father is no longer his glory. But you give me an Abraham. Give me an Abraham. Give me a Joshua. When their children were grown, they still knew that their fathers were glorious. You give me a Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. And he will command his household not to eat grapes or raisins, drink wine, or to build them houses. And we'll have a whole chapter of the Bible dedicated to this man in Jeremiah 35, because his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-grandchildren still thought he was a glorious man. And they still obeyed his commandment, even in a matter of liberty. Lord, help us to be glorious. Amen. Men, if I preach to you that the man is a glory, keep that glory by fulfilling the role God gave you. Don't give it up. Don't sacrifice it. Don't lay it beside you. Put your armor on. Get your ensigns on. And come forth and stay the glory of your children. You get moody around your house. You go hide yourself in your house. You get negligent of your family. You can't rule your spirit. Your children will all witness that. And the glory departs. You might as well say, Ichabod, the glory has departed from this house. And you might as well kneel down with a white flag and tell your wife and children, I'm no longer a glorious man. And you do that every time you lose your temper, lose your tongue, lose your moods, and don't fulfill the role God gave you. If any of you think it's hard to hear... You come up here and preach it so that I can sit there, because I'd rather sit there and have you preach it than to have me preach it with my parents, my wife, and my children and my grandchildren sitting here. I'll be happy to sit and listen to you tell us how to do it. And I say that to tell you, these are sober scriptures. Every time we let our tongue loose, every time we let a mood loose, we better remember that we are the glory of our children, and we are forfeiting that glory when we do not rule our little spirits inside. Do you all hear me? Lord, help us. Proverbs 17:6. Proverbs chapter 16, and verse 31 puts it this way. Proverbs 16:31, "The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. When men get old, their hair changes colors. It looks like the almond tree, as we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. But when it does, when God does that to a man, if that man has still found the way of righteousness, though he's not as physically strong as he once was, though he's not as quick verbally as he once was, or as astute mentally as he once was, It's still a crown of glory when it's found in the way of righteousness. That's a good way to get old. You know, the world wants to keep comparing you to 20-year-old men on steroids. But the Bible allows you to be glorious even when you're old and gray-headed. Because if you're in the way of righteousness with a gray head, it's a crown of glory to you. The man's a glory, and you don't have to give it up. When you cross the threshold of 30, or 40, or 50, or 70, or 90, or 110. Let's fulfill that rule. Of course, the only glorious man is a man that is faithful. You know what Proverbs chapter 20 tells us? Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. These are the words of God to us. These are the words of a man that had a great father. These are the words of Solomon. His father was David. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Everyone likes to think that they're a pretty good man. Everyone likes to tell everyone they're a pretty good man, either directly or indirectly but a faithful man who can find. That's what the Lord's looking for, and it's that faithful man that's a truly glorious man. Turn to Isaiah chapter 3 that we read earlier this morning. Isaiah chapter 3, it can't take long there. Do you know how long it would take to work through Isaiah 3? It'd take all of today, and it'd be a good day. But Isaiah 3 is full of good things about this nation right now. If Isaiah 3 doesn't fit America today, it has never fit any nation at any time. These people had turned their back on the Lord. Isaiah was a prophet to warn them of their backsliding wickedness. And look at God's judgment. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away. God takes away certain things when He judges a people for their backsliding hypocrisy, for their worldly compromise, for their sin. He takes things away. And look at the things He takes away. Verse 2. The mighty man. You know, in the Bible, a young a young man named David could be brought before King Saul. And do you know how his resume was prepared by the servants of Saul? He's a mighty man of valor. Right. This is long before Goliath. All he had to do was meet David and know that in battle he'd be fearless. He had character that wouldn't compromise in any situation. Young David, Saul, we have found the man that you're looking for. He's David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's a cunning man with the harp. He's a mighty man of valor. Lord, all of you young men, do you have anything inside of you that swells up? Do you have any spiritual testosterone that hears the Word of God and the description of David, the man after God's own heart, and you swell up wanting to be that man? The Lord takes away the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, and the ancient. He takes away the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. He takes away all those skilled positions and those great men, and he leaves children to be the princes and the babes to rule over them. And this nation is now ruled by babes. I cannot stand the fact that an 18-year-old is allowed to vote. I don't care what sex they are. An 18-year-old young man is a child he has no clue about the world in any way, shape, or form. Anyone that says, well, they go give their lives, they ought to be able to vote. No, that's the reason why they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Because they're dumb enough to go give their lives. Come on. Please. Please. Grown men wouldn't do it. Unless they absolutely had to. They don't go for a shiny medal. An 18-year-old will go because it's the first nice set of clothes he's ever had. The young man will go because he gets to go in a parade once in a while. But old men won't do that. They give babes to be over them. And we've got little 18-year-olds that have never earned a buck in a day. They've never paid taxes. They don't know anything. They've never balanced a checkbook. And they're voting for our next president. Incredible. Incredible. Babes rule over them. Listen, what does the Bible tell you is, this, is the age of adulthood? And it's not 18. I'll give you a hint right there. You can start a little higher. 30. 30. 30. The Lord wasn't going to let some 29-year-old into his ministry as a priest. He didn't want the office violated. He didn't want some 29-year-old giving their opinion on matters because a 29-year-old just doesn't get it yet. You get it at 30. You know how many years the Lord Jesus Christ wasted and John the Baptist wasted? They were 30 years old when they took up their ministries because they wouldn't have got any respect anywhere younger than that. Babes will rule over them. I want you to remember this, Isaiah 3. All you young men, every single one of you, don't you ever forget Isaiah chapter 3 because it describes God taking away the great men of a nation and leaving women and children to rule over them and that is a sign of judgment. Women now vote in our nation and they rule over us. The average woman rules the house. The average wife rules the marriage. They're everywhere and they're ruling over men. And this is not to preach some war of the sexes. It's to try to remind us of what God has said about their respective roles. Isaiah chapter 3 is is a pitiful indictment of our nation because it describes what is happening. Look at verse 5. It says, "...the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient." Grandchildren will behave themselves proudly against grandparents. There was a day, and it wasn't very long ago, when grandchildren came into the presence of grandparents, they knew to be quiet and to stand and give regard to that grandparent. Now jokes are made about grandparents. And the little children behave themselves proudly against a grandfather. Inside the family, there is no more revered position than the grandfather or the great-grandfather or the great-great-grandfather, depending on what you're able to achieve in a lifetime. That's what that means right there by ancient. You know, when grandpa came into the room, you better stand up. That's right. And when grandpa comes in the room, you better shut up. Mm-hmm. Your grandfather's coming in here. He forgot more things in the last week than you've learned yet in your life. Right. This isn't Jonathan Crosby's religion. This is the religion of the Bible, but Jonathan Crosby loves it. Amen. You say you were born in the wrong generation. Let's take on this generation and live righteously within it. We don't need to go to any other generation. I like hitting a switch and getting the lights come on. I like going to the refrigerator to get my milk instead of that big black and white thing on four legs out in the barn. I like things of the twentieth century, but let's let's stand for the Word of God as men in the twentieth century. Isaiah three is a passage I hope you'll never forget. It says in verse twelve, As for my people, children are their oppressors. Are children oppressors today? Making demands on their parents. I don't want to go there. Throwing temper tantrums and they have to go get drugs for it. You don't need drugs to help a temper tantrum. Every one of our grandparents knows how to take care of a temper tantrum if they haven't forgotten. And they didn't have to go to the drugstore for it. CVS does not help with temper tantrums. The hardware helps with temper tantrums. They have dowels in all shapes and sizes. Well, it's a similar shape. Forgive me on that, but it's... A variety of sizes. Children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord standeth up to plead, and sendeth to judge the people. Leaders, when they're women and children, especially in a God-judged and God-forsaken situation, like we are in America, cause us to leave the paths of righteousness and the paths of godliness, and go into the paths of our society. Some of the things I'm saying sound contrary to your mind. They're hard enough for me to get out in the light of the fact that our nation says so much against them. There's very few churches that would allow a sermon like this to even be preached. Half the congregation would have already left this morning. Because they don't want to hear. They have have stopped up their ears. They no longer want sound doctrine. They want fables and entertainment. They want Mr. and Mrs. Pastor. This is Isaiah 3. It's a very sober passage about the situation that we're in. Men, you're the glory of God. Need I say any more on this first point? You're the glory of God. You don't need to get in touch with your feminine side. You need to get in touch with your new man. Isn't that sick? Listen, the mightiest man alive, like a David... He wasn't in touch with his feminine side. He was in touch with the God of heaven. And he was the gentlest man you'd ever want to run into if you ever needed mercy. It was David. If I ever wanted my enemy that I was trying to kill to catch me at night while I was asleep and stand over me and have his nephew with a spear just about to impale my chest with a hole that would be two inches wide, I want it to be David standing beside him because I know I'm still going to be breathing in the morning and asking for my coffee. Because David had mercy. And it wasn't because he was in touch with his feminine side, and it wasn't because he had taken counseling, and it wasn't because he had had classes on social studies or taken Psychology 101 at the local community college. It was because he was in touch with the God of heaven. And the God of heaven said two things, my son, mercy and truth. Every decision you make, mercy and truth. And David knew what to do with those. The truth was Saul was God's appointed man until God took him out of the way. The mercy was I let him live even though he's trying to kill me. What a man. I want to be that man. And now I'm 48. 48. You little eight year old, you are blessed. You haven't spent forty years already. This generation mocks everything I've just said. I've already said it this morning once, but I'll say it again. They're comedies, their dramas, they're all selling a little gospel, aren't they? The world's gospel, the devil's gospel. Men are stupid. Men are buffoons. That's not what the Bible says. Right. I hope that the first point has got you charged. Amen. The man is a glory. Yeah. Fulfill it. Yeah. Fill it. Yeah. Put on your armor yeah. every day and step out of that bedroom. Take charge of your family. Take charge of the world. The little, the little world that God's given you to take charge of, you were made in the image and likeness of God look like it. Don't put anything on your head. Don't crawl. Don't stoop. Be a man. Yeah. Lead forth. Stand for Jesus Christ. Be a glory. Let your children rejoice that they were born by the sovereign providence of God to a man. And don't give it up in the third grade. The man's a leader. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. The first thing is the man is a glory. Thank you, Lord. We're nothing without what you. Gave us and what you put us in, and we can't even do what we're talking about right now unless you help us. Oh, I want you to be like David, a church of Davids, young and old. Catch the vision. Not David Bowie, David of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So when God created the world, He created it for a man. Because we have a man alone in the world. I will make him and help meet for him. So the woman is a helper to the man. And then we spent some time on that last Lord's Day. The woman should wake up in the morning and she should go to bed at night. God made me to be a helper if I've been a good helper today to my man. You know, it's hard to be a helper, though, when you're not married to a man. So I ask all of you men to be men and make it easy for your wives to be your helper. Oh, they still have to do it if they're going to follow the Bible. But it's hard to be a man for a whining, complaining, moody, griping, lazy, neglectful man. It's not a man. It's a woman. No, it's not a woman. It's a shame to a woman. I don't know what it is. It's just a fool. Let's be leaders, men. Genesis 2.18 tells us God made you first. Now, is this the only place in the Bible that this is found? Am I stretching this verse farther than it should be stretched? Or does it tell us in 1 Timothy 2.13 that you can understand the roles between the man and the woman because Adam was first formed, then Eve. The Apostle Paul pulls from this verse by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Adam was first formed, then Eve. The order and priority of creation tells us that the man's a leader. If you wish to call it king and queen relationship in the Garden of Eden, I'll let you do that. The Bible doesn't use those words, but it's like a king and queen. The roles become a little different though after we look at the next point, and that's because Eve wanted to engage in a mind-provoking, entertaining conversation with the devil, and she listened to the devil, and she was deceived by the devil, and so the Lord put her under the rule of the man. That's chapter three and verse sixteen, Genesis three sixteen. And the woman he said, "I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception." In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration, takes this verse and pulls it into the same passage in 1 Timothy. It's verse 14 this time, where he said, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. When we are talking about the superiority or the inferiority of the sexes, we are dealing with this verse and the previous verse. God made the man over the woman originally in the order, and then He made the man over the woman because she showed her vulnerability and weakness to lies. She was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. Adam was just a rebel. But a rebel doesn't show signs of vulnerability to deception. It just shows a stubborn nature and a great love for the woman. That's how we tie those verses together. We're working on point number two. The man is a leader. You're the leader. Listen guys, whenever you think about getting married, whenever you think about getting married, marriage is not dating with sex. Marriage is now you have to lead someone. For the first time in your life, you need to be a leader. And the man's a leader and it's a role and you've got to fill it. Marriage is not a light responsibility. Is it, young man? You become a leader. And you have to lead someone else. And that someone else sometimes might not like the way you're leading them. And you're all of a sudden in conflict. And it might be early in your marriage. But God told you to be a leader. And you only pick a woman. That you know after you marry her, she's going to submit to your leadership. Because she's going to do everything in her power if she hasn't been taught of God and doesn't fear God. She's going to do everything she can to break your spirit. They're experts at it. Unless they fear God. If you don't think that men's spirits are broken by women, why do you think it's better to dwell in the wilderness than at home? Why do you think it's better to dwell on the rooftop than in a wide house? You haven't talked to enough men who've been had their spirits broken, their leadership broken, stolen by a rebellious woman who wanted to do things her way, who wanted to be a reminder and a nagger all the time, and she breaks the heart and spirit and soul of a man so that he does not amount to what he could have been if she would have shut up and followed him. The man's a leader. There is no hatred for women whatsoever coming out of my mouth nor out of the pages of the Word of God. They have their role and we ha- I have to defend it and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to preach it the way it ought to be. Yeah. Right. And I wish that women would grieve right now about the times they resist their husbands. When their husbands ask them to do something, but because they didn't club them, give them a neon sign, put a ball and chain around their ankle, pin it to their shirt, they forget. He, I don't think he really meant that. You know, some husbands aren't like as loud and as, as I am. They're just going to say it in a gentle little way, but you need to learn to multiply it by ten. That's my Lord asking me to do something. I better do it. Because when you don't do it, he's wondering why you didn't do it. That's right. He's wondering why you call yourself a Christian you didn't do it. That's right. yeah. He's wondering why he's got this stubborn woman that doesn't want to do it. Amen. And it breaks his heart and steals his soul and crushes his spirit. And I'm not exaggerating. I wish that I could put you women in the presence of a crying man And most of all, as I'm going to tell you before this day is over, all such problems can be traced back to a man that failed to do his duty at some point. Some man did not take that girl and put her in her place. Some man did not take that young man and teach him to be a leader by example and by instruction. Men, you're leaders. And I really want to get the attention of you young men that aren't married. All you all you men that have been married, and I've, I always talk this way to you, after you're married a little while, you'll all be able to sit with me and talk and we'll all understand everything, won't we? You've got to be a leader. Because they want to fight. So do we. When was the last time you signed your tax return with a big smile on your face? When was the last time you put your shoulder harness on with a big smile on your face? When was the last time you did something that you thought was stupid that your boss asked you to do and you did it with a big smile on your face. We all have rebellion in our hearts. But men, in order for you to get that rebellion out of her heart, you need to have her under the preaching of God's Word. You need to have her fearing and trembling before the Lord because it will go out of her soul when she fears God and understands the Bible. And then you need to take the oversight of your wife and family. In Genesis chapter 18, I do want you to see the verse. Genesis chapter 18 You're a leader. We don't apologize for leading. We don't hurt anybody that we're leading. We don't apologize for it. God told us to be leaders. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. Look at what the Lord has to say about Abraham. We know the verse well, men, but it never hurts us to see it again. Genesis 18, 19. God is speaking. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. I want all of you to realize the fullest blessing of God on your lives. And the way to do that is to fulfill what it says about Abraham right here. God said, I know my friend Abraham. I know him. He's going to command His children. Now does that sound like some little daddy doing what the kids want to do? Does that sound like some little daddy who passes out ballots and says, what would you children like to do? Where would you like to go to church today? Did you know that most churches are picked today because of the programs they have for the children? I know Abraham... He'll command his children and his household. That's everyone in his house, including Sarah, including Hagar, including Eliezer. His whole household to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment. And on that basis, God was going to bring great blessings upon the man Abraham. He's a leader. Do you see anything in this verse about Abraham sitting down and consulting with his wife? Sarah, what do you think we ought to worship? The gods of our fathers on the other side of the Euphrates... The gods of the Canaanites? The gods of the Egyptians? Or do you think we ought to serve the Lord? What do you think, Sarah? Have you been studying recently? Have you been listening to Christian radio? Do you have some suggestions for me, Sarah? Do you know what she'd say? I like Benny Hinn. He seems to be so nice. He never yells. Except when he's yelling at the devil. He seems to be so nice. And there go Abraham and Sarah off to the nearest crusade. But by the time he gets there and he sees that all the other women are going in, Abraham would just sit outside in the car. Because you don't see any men in that auditorium. You say, I've seen a couple. Yeah, out of 10,000. It's women. Abraham didn't consult his wife as the point of that long and stupid illustration. But I hope you got the point. I hope you got the point of what's happening in America today. The point is, Abraham didn't consult. Abraham was a leader. God knew that he was a leader. Abraham said, the Lord, he is God. And we're going to serve him, family. All of you are going to serve him. Every single one of you. If you don't like to serve the Lord, then there's a job opening down in Egypt. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. You know the verse, but you need to see it. Joshua 24, 15. What does the Bible say to us men? Here's Joshua speaking at the end of his life as he addresses the whole nation. What a leader! What a leader! Now, he's going. To, one, one aspect of his leadership is implied by the context. The other aspect is stated clearly. What a leader this Joshua was. Here he is speaking to the whole nation of Israel. Millions. And if it seemed evil... "...unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Joshua not only led his family. "...as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but look at him confronting the whole nation and saying, you got a choice to make today. You've got three options. You can choose the gods on the other side of the Euphrates River, where our fathers lived. That's what the flood refers to. It's the flood of the Euphrates, absolutely, without a doubt. Or, you can serve the God of the Amorites in the land in which we now are. Or you can serve the Lord, which I'm going to do. He confronted the nation with a choice, because that's leadership. Choose who you're going to worship. What would he have done to those that said, we want to worship the God of our fathers of the Chaldeans and Mesopotamians? He'd have sent them to the happy hunting ground. There isn't such a place. But look at what he said about his whole family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't read about Joshua that he ever sat down. If you ever read the Bible, you don't ever see the example of a man sitting down with his wife and saying, Mrs. Joshua... You know, we need, to, we need to help these children. Where do you think we ought to take them to Sunday school? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, God was dealing with Joshua. Joshua is the one that meditated in the Word of God day and night. Right. This word of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Joshua. I don't care if it's in your wife's mouth or not. I care that it's in your mouth because if it's in your mouth and you're meditating upon it, you're going to lead Mrs. Joshua, and the two of you together are going to lead all the little Joshuaites. And so the whole family is going to serve the Lord because Joshua had the word of the law in his heart and his mouth. And that is, where, that is how religion is perpetuated through family trees. The man is a leader. Do you think Caleb sat down with his wife and said, How strong do you think I am, honey? He was 85 years old. Well, you ain't nothing like you used to be, she'd say. Do you think Caleb did that? Or did Caleb just go to Joshua and say, Joshua, you remember when we came in and spied out this land, there was a particular mountain where all the giants lived, the Anakims. The ten other spies were so afraid of that place, you remember. But you remember when we got back to Moses, I asked Moses if I could have that mountain. Now listen. We've done all the other fighting for the last five years. We've whipped 50 cities. We've destroyed seven nations. Now everybody is going home to rest. Will you give me one final request of my life? Well, give me this mountain. Amen. Do you think he went and asked Mrs. Caleb, should I take on the mountain of the Anakims by myself? What would Mrs. Caleb have said in most cases? Oh, honey, you could get hurt. Hurt? Anakims? The giants on a mountain. Do you know what Caleb said? Give me this mountain. I wonder if he asked his wife for permission to give away his prized daughter as the bounty for taking the mountain. That does not mean, nothing I have said, means that a husband does not consult his wife, but the husband is the leader, which means his wife is not leading in the decision-making process. leader. What a man Caleb was. You know how much a, ma- a leader a man is? In Numbers chapter 30, there's a whole chapter dedicated to this subject. That when a woman vows a vow to the Lord, her father or her husband can disannul that vow. That is how powerful a man's position is as the head of the woman. She, he is between the woman and God as far as her practical worship of God in this particular respect. The vows in Numbers chapter 30 are voluntary vows. Free will offerings that a woman might make. She might have had a prayer request, the Lord answered it, and so she had a payment that she wanted to make to the Lord. But when the husband overheard the vow, if it wasn't a good time for her to go and he didn't want her to be gone, he could disannul the vow. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 30, the woman is held guiltless from not keeping her vow. And there's no fault in the part of the husband either. If the husband doesn't say anything, then the woman's vow stands. Numbers chapter 30 says that for husbands, for fathers, when the girl is still living at home and for husbands when she's married woman. That shows you right there by an example that fathers had a great deal of authority. Cornelius and the jailer. Did Cornelius go home and ask his wife if he could invite Peter over for supper? How was God dealing with that family? Show me the angel of the Lord that appeared to some woman. By herself. Oh, don't. There are some. But they're the great exception. And they go get their husbands involved if their husbands are converted. The angel of the Lord appeared to Cornelius. Cornelius gathered the whole family together and said, I was the one God was dealing with. I was praying in my house. It wasn't we were praying. I was praying. He was a leader. And the angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, send and get Simon. And you're, you're, it's good that you're here because we're all gathered together and he had the house full of his family because he was a leader. He had told them we were going to hear the truth for the first time in our lives. Now you be here. And they were there. I love Cornelius. I love the jailer. It says he went home and there was a surprise that night, and it wasn't a bonus check from the Roman government. The surprise was we had a little disturbance at the prison tonight, honey. A little disturbance. I had two men singing at midnight, and the place fell apart. All the doors open, but no one ran away. I tried to kill myself, but they preached the truth to me. Now, we need to get baptized. And she gets baptized along with her husband. She hears the truth of the gospel, and by morning time, they've washed these Paul and Silas. They have fed them, and they're on their way out of town. But the jailer was a leader. God grabbed a hold of his soul, and as soon as God grabbed a hold of his soul, he went home and it says he and his whole household were baptized. That doesn't mean they were baptized against their wishes, and that doesn't mean they baptized hating God but obeying their Father. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that that man sat his family down and said, listen children, we have just heard the truth of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is sitting on the throne of heaven. God has appointed him to be the judge of the quick and the dead. I've taught you lies. I've let you go to school where lies are taught all your lives." We've just heard the truth. Let's obey it. Wives, families, and churches are in desperate pain and trouble when their men don't lead. A leader. What is a leader? It's a man who does it first, does it best, does it cheerfully, and enforces compliance. David was a leader. Could he take over being king of Israel by himself? No. All Israel had to gather together and make him king. But once they made him king and said, we want you to be our king, and he said, I will be your king. Did he then enforce the rule? Yes, he did. Did he have the army at his disposal? Was rebellion a choice in Israel? Or was there a David that wasn't going to let you rebel because he then had a position that had been given to him by God and the people to rule? When a man marries a woman, the woman gives her rights away to that husband to be her leader. And he is to enforce that role of being a leader over her and over the children for the glory of God and obedience to the Bible. A leader is not a man that yells. A real leader doesn't have to yell. You children have a father that yells, I'm very sorry for you. Very sorry. Real leaders never yell. Real generals never yell. Once they give their word, it is always obeyed. They do not have to repeat it twice. They don't have to raise octave levels. They don't have to raise decibel levels. They don't have to do any of that. Because if they're a real leader and they're enforcing what they say, they can say it very gently, very quietly, and it gets done. That is not a leader that yells. Leaders don't complain. They don't sleep on the job. They don't get distracted. They don't get moody. And they don't quit. And every man is capable of being a full-blown leader in this church or God wouldn't have let you be born a man. You're all capable of doing it by submitting to the Word of God and anything else is rebellion. It's nothing else. It's rebellion. A godly wife and children will follow a consistent Christian man who's their leader. In spite of the initial reaction they may give or what the world may say, women love a leader and they'll follow them. Power is an aphrodisiac, men. Be a leader. Your wife will love you for it. If you need to figure that one out, just go home and get a dictionary. What in the world did the apostle mean when he said, Quit yourselves like men? I wonder why he said it that way. Why didn't he say, Quit yourselves like women? Quit yourselves like men, because men ought to conduct themselves in a way that's good, strong leadership is what the apostle Paul intended by that. Be tough. Take some pain. Do what's right anyway. Quit yourselves like men, in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. The whole generation that we live in is trying to reverse this role. I preach to you the Bible. We're done for the first service this morning. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. God said it. We should believe it, and that settles it for us. You are the glory in your house. You are the glory of God, and He made you to be a leader. May God bless you to be a glorious leader. Amen. Amen.